Welcome back to Mary Seat Quarantine. This is Father Tim, and I'm joined with the Father incredible Killjoy. <laughs> Man, the myth, the legend. Okay, Father let's Derek get Cole. started. Okay, so, so part two of Team Q&A. Hey, Father Tim and Father Derek, it's Bree Berry. I was just wondering, which one of the four Gospels is most historically accurate? <laughs> I hope you guys have a great day. And I apologize for my dad's loud noises with the chips. <laughs> Bree, thank you so much for your question. It's a great question. Um, and also, hello to Papa Berry. Which of the four Gospels is his most, most historically accurate? If you know the answer to this question, I'd be very impressed. Um, the answer is all of them. There's no like one gospel that is more historically accurate than the other. Um, often we can think that one of the gospels is not as historically accurate as the other because different events are recorded in different times or in different ways within each of the gospels. And so when we look at it from a historical perspective, when the gospels were written, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John had a way and an understanding of what they wanted to get across in the story of Jesus Christ. So for example, uh, Matthew, he arranged the stories in the gospel to reflect the fact that Jesus was the new Moses because this was really important for people at that time to know that he was not only the Messiah, but he was a new Moses, bringing everyone into new life. The stories, which are all historically accurate, are arranged in a certain order to be able to reflect that theme. Mark, he portrays it in a different way that Jesus is the Lion of Judah. So he emphasizes Jesus in a kingly Jewish manner. Luke, he arranges all the stories to be a history and the story of Christ and the ancient church, which you see that goes along into the Acts of the Apostles. And then uh, John, he arranges the stories to reflect the theme of Jesus, Jesus bringing about a new creation and uh, the importance of the passion, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So, Brie, basic answer is all of them are historically accurate because when, when it comes to the Bible, we speak of the Bible as being inerrant. That's, that's like the key phrase that biblical people use is that the entirety of the Bible is inerrant, which means it's without error because God inspired it. So, Father Tim, what about Genesis and what about God making and creating the world in seven days? Heavens and the earth and the animals, what is going on there? None of that is actually true and accurate. Great question, camper. So, <laughs> you okay there? No, I think it's funny. Bible means library. That the Bible is composed of many, many different books. And each of the books are to be read in a different way. Just like you would not read a geometry book like poetry because it wouldn't make sense. You wouldn't read a biography of Father Derek Ho's life like a fantasy book because it's not. You read it in the context that the author wanted. And so all the books have a different context. So in Genesis, we read it as... One, we kind of read it as poetry, but also as the ancients would have written a creation story account. So when it comes to thinking some books are more historically accurate than others, we want to place our mindset in the fact that all of the Bible is inerrant, is without error, but we read them in different ways. All historically accurate. They can't be read in the same way as the Psalms or Genesis or um, even Revelation. The Gospels are, like you said, such situated in a particular a particular context to a particular audience yeah
Hello, my name is Michael, and um, one question I have is, what does it mean that Jesus is the Prince of Peace? Michael Swartniak, amazing question. <laughs> I'm thinking of Jack Gorman's. Amazing! <laughs> anyway, Prince of Peace. What do you think, Father Derek? Why is Jesus called the Prince of Peace? Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because he is. Okay, next Mike question. Mike Jaw. <laughs> Mike Jaw. So Michael, it's a, it's a great and it's a deep question, and I would encourage you to pray about that. Um, that's something that maybe Jesus, if that's a question in your heart, I think he wants you to really pray on that. Maybe that's a way that he wants you to address him in a special way that he is a Prince of Peace. When it comes to that actual name, that goes all the way back to the book of Isaiah, where um, Isaiah calls, prophesies, prophecies, prophesied, prophesisms that Jesus, the Messiah is, will be called the Prince of Peace. And of course we know why he is the ultimate bringer of, of peace. Yeah, I really like that line. I think it's chapter nine. Isaiah calls the one who is to come the Messiah, God, hero, father forever, Prince of Peace. Wonderful counselor. Is that one of them? Yeah. Wonder counselor, God, hero, Prince of Peace, father forever. So that in, in this one person of Jesus, all of those titles are fulfilled. Yeah. But yeah, Mike, pray, pray about those things. Pray, pray about that title. Yeah. And if it is the case that God has put that on your heart, then use that title in your prayer to Definitely. address him. Great. All right. Next question. Hello, Father Tim and Father Derek. It is Mitt Cons, and I'm wondering why certain masses and um, events have to be celebrated inside the church, like a wedding, when you can celebrate mass outside the church. Next question is a doozy. Mick, it's a great question, and I know you're preparing for marriage right now, and you're about to get married in a couple of days. So yeah, right. So this is very relevant, pertinent. You, you want to get you, you get need married. an immediate answer. Yes. And we are here to provide one for you, Mick. Don't worry, we'll have you married before you go to college. So, <laughs> I think while while all those sacraments can be celebrated outside of the church, I think the ordinary place where sacraments are celebrated is in the church because the church is considered sacred space. It's the place where we become adopted sons and daughters of God, usually in baptism, where we receive Jesus' body and blood in the Mass. It's usually the place where we go to have our sins forgiven. So I think as long as we're on the same page with that, like where that it's the ordinary place. Yeah, but Father Derek, what about the mountains? Isn't that a sacred space? Not. Because God made it. Isn't it nature? Isn't nature what God made? So isn't it sacred space? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, like, every space is sacred because God is in all things. And what Thomas says, Thomas Aquinas says, God is in all things by essence, presence, and power. But the church is, um, like, capital S space. <laughs> nice. Why does God choose a building to come down in? I don't know, when you see him, ask him when you meet him and let us know. But that's what he does. Um, the church is supposed to remind you of heaven. Every part of the church is supposed to remind you of heaven. There are statues and um, there's supposed to be art that show you that the life of heaven, the angels and the saints are real. There's just signs and symbols that are supposed to make our faith alive. If you were to take out all art, all statues, yeah, why bother? Why the heck would you, why want, to would you want to get married in this church? You know, I think most churches in this area especially have stained glass windows. And the stained glass, although it may not be like traditionally put together, they do reflect light in a way where it makes the church feel like a jewel box. When you're in it and the light is bouncing off of you, 
the sun is shining outside it's the light is shining off of you it makes you feel valuable worthy you're you're a gem and so can can the woods or can a hotel can getting married falling out of an airplane make you feel the same way i'd argue maybe maybe it could but it'd have to try really hard <laughs> yeah you can go on a, on a hike or something but you know that god is present in the church like you just know it so why would you go anywhere else you know almost every single wedding homily that i give when i'm preparing couples for marriage and then the day comes uh, one of the things i usually say in the homily it's towards the end i basically say to them and to the people like guys you could have chosen to get married anywhere you could have chosen to get married while scuba diving or while skydiving, while bungee jumping on a beach. You could have gotten married in so many different places, but you chose to be married within the church, in the church, because you guys know that you two getting married is for the whole church. It's a public thing. It's a public witness that you are saying, as spouses, you're going to share in the same mission of bringing Jesus Christ to the world through the gift of life, through service, through your love. You can look at two people who are married and you can say, oh my gosh, that's how Jesus loves me. And so getting married in the church reflects that, that idea that it's not just about you. It's about the whole church and your gift to the whole church. I think we're really passionate about this topic because a lot of people our age, there's this great push towards getting married outside the church. And so we as priests, we want to make sure that people, our contemporaries and everybody, just understand the great value of being married in the church building because that is where God is. God is, what do we say, truly present under the species of the Eucharist. That's not the case when you go to the woods or to the mountains, as beautiful as both are. It's just not the case. Is God present there? Yeah, but not in a sacramental way or in a personal way. He is present in a sacramental and personal way in the church. So it it does hurt us, I think, and I don't make this all about us, but like we know that it's good for the couple, it's good for their family and friends to be in the church when, when they get married. So they recognize that the sacrament is not about not just them, but it's about their relationship with God. And if you get married outside the church, there's a great tendency to make the relationship just about the couple and not about the, the life of God. I love marriage. It's amazing. How about we don't do shout-outs during the teens ones because we're already doing shout-outs. Because right. they themselves are the shout-out. Ooh. Ooh. All right. Mary Seat Quarantined is a Mary Seat of Wisdom dynamic original podcast.